guys. So hope everybody's doing well. This is, you know, a, I guess a rarity that um, I double back and I, I do a podcast the next day. Um, you know, I, I traveled down to sea level last night. I mean, I'm, I'm kind of now pretty sure the only reason I went down to sea level, it's, it's kind of like, it's what me and the therapist now would control, would call, sorry, controlled chaos. So if you're the, if you're the kind of person that every now and again, you notice yourself go off the reels a little bit. And when I was younger, going off the reels looks a lot different than what it does now. So when I was younger, that probably involved sneaking out of the house, you know, going clubbing with friends and, you know, probably telling my parents that I was, you know, going to the movie theater or whatever. And I'm, I'm talking when I'm like 17. I don't even think I was old enough to go clubbing yet, but I probably had like a fake ID. And so chaos when I was a kid was, yeah, sneaking out, going to a club. Chaos as I got a bit older, probably in university, you know, I'm, I'm in my 18 to 22 sort of era and um, it probably just involved not sneaking out the club, but just going to a club and getting pretty drunk and really make, it makes me feel feverish just thinking about some of the states that I would have got myself into at university. But that was kind of like the chaos then. Chaos now when you're a professional athlete and you know you you go it, it used to be as a as an athlete I wanted to you know go the last four weeks before a competition without you know partying or anything like that that's in my university days you know I, I really wanted to just keep those last four weeks excuse me I'm burping keep those last four weeks looking pretty good and I was pretty confident I'd be able to perform pretty well um now it's got to the point where, you know, I can go four or five months, but that doesn't mean that in those four or five months, there's, there's no drama or chaos. So my drama and chaos now is, um, you know, maybe changing sessions, not being patient with the training, um, you know, impulsively booking flights, impulsively changing race plans, et cetera, et cetera. That's the, that's the impulsivity and the, the chaos and drama. So as everybody knows, and I told you guys in the podcast, if you already listened, um, yeah, like yesterday, a couple of the last 48 hours were really tough. There was a lot of flights being booked. I, you know, I just had to call the airline this morning and track down some refunds and, and get like, you know, miles back that I use for upgrades and things like this. It's, it's kind of embarrassing to call a lady and you know you've got three booking references for Flagstaff to Dublin, Flagstaff to Belfast, Flagstaff to Dublin on the same day. And like, yeah, I I tend to just zone out when I'm telling them and I'm just asking for my refund. Um but yeah look there there was a lot going on. There, it felt like a lot of stress, a lot of anxiety. I, I can just picture it's hard it's hard for me to explain this. It's not it's not about home for Christmas. It's 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 got nothing to do with friends, family. Now, I'm not suggesting I wouldn't like to see my friends and family, but I'm a I think I'm well, I'm a, I'm either thirty two or I'm thirty three. I think I'm a thirty three year old man. 
you know, I think I can survive, you know, I think it's three weeks. I think Houston's three weeks after Christmas. I'm pretty certain I can survive those three weeks and, you know, catch up with my friends, family and, and all the rest of it after Christmas. So it's not really about that. So then you have to have a look at it and say, well, well, shit, you know, if it's, if it's not this friends and family thing and, and it's not Christmas at home, you know, what is it? What is it you're, what is it you want? What is it you're, you know, you're trying to seek? What are you, what are you craving here? What are you, what, what's this all about? And in reality for me, it's, it's like, honestly, it is, it is identical. It is identical to, uh, you know, an alcoholic, uh, a drug addict. Uh, it, it's just my, it's my dopamine. It's my hit. You know, I, I, I use these opportunities like Christmas or, you know, if maybe a trading session doesn't go well or I pick up an injury, I use these situations to, you know, replan, replan, work it all out, get the MacBook out, get out Microsoft Excel, have a look at how many weeks, you know, get out, get up the American Airlines. Do you have to fly somewhere? Could that work? Have a look at rental cars. You know, could you rent a car? What about Airbnb? Do you need a property? And my 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 brain gets a real. I I can spend a good two to three hours, especially like it. It reminds me of every time I travel, every time I fly somewhere. Um, you know, this is this is kind of like the routine of things. Um, I end up um spending all this time busy fucking about, making plans, changing plans, making plans, changing plans, etc., etc. And then I get to the destination and I might have spent two hours on a plan, making it look really good, you know, real good plan, etc., etc. Two hours, I'm not joking you. And then what tends to happen is nine times out of ten, I don't even follow the plan. It's it's probably what helps in the, you know when I'm doing the, the coaching and I'm I'm helping other people because I'm happy to do their plan. I love doing other people's plans and stuff. So and I, I love that process. I love mapping it out. I, I it's like a masterpiece. You're you're mapping out a masterpiece how that might look. The problem for myself is I would always map out these masterpieces and I and I just would never stick to them. So it doesn't really matter. It can be a fucking masterpiece. And I know I know what a good result looks like. I know what the training looks like. I know what the lifestyle should be. I know how many weeks you should spend at altitude. I know how many days you should spend down at sea level. I've practiced it. You know, I've, I've raced really well at Larn off two weeks. I, I know how it all looks like. But I just struggle with the implementation. And so the reason I went to sea level, you know, I, I, I don't even remember at this point what I told you guys in the podcast that, you know, I, I did want to go see the physio, um, but because he hadn't texted me back, I actually didn't end up going to see the physio today because it's about a 50 minute drive um, from where the Airbnb was. And basically I would have gotten, if I went fifth, I tried to call the office, no answer. I text, there was no reply. If I drive 50 minutes across town and the, the physio actually told me a week ago that he did have to go out of town for a little bit. And so I'm wondering if he went out of town. 
But the problem with that is I might have drove 50 minutes over, got to physio, realised that he's not there, and then had to drive 50 minutes back. And the problem with that is the 50 minutes back, you know, is 50 minutes further away from Flagstaff. So I'm, I'm actually driving back up the mountain now. I kind of, what I'm going to tell you is, while I might have sold a story yesterday that I was going to Phoenix to get physio, and, and actually that, that, that was part of the controlled chaos. And actually there, it, it did no harm because I went to Phoenix. I stayed in an Airbnb. I got a good night's sleep at sea level. My heart rate variability jumped up to, you know, I think 67. It had been in the 50s for ages, so it jumped up to 67. And my rest and heart rate went down to 39 instead of 46 at 7,000 feet. You know, what, I, what, what controlled chaos can be is a bit like no harm, no foul. So, you know, didn't do any harm. Got a, got a good session done at sea level, which I can talk about in a second. Um, and, and because you're away from altitude for less than 24 hours, there's not really. Now, because I've now done probably about seven weeks at altitude, actually, I can kind of leave altitude for three or four days and it's not really a problem. You might have to readjust slightly, like very slightly. But I know for sure less than 24 hours at any point of your altitude camp around, okay, sorry, less than 24 hours after probably the first two weeks, not a big deal at all. You know, I think I'll be gone 18 hours or something like that. No big deal. Um, controlled chaos. I went to Phoenix because yesterday was supposed to be the day that I traveled home. Um, it, it makes you a bit like, can, can you imagine an alcoholic sitting in a house knowing there's like five bottles of whiskey in the cupboard, five bottles of whiskey in the cupboard. And that's what it's a bit like for me because, because this is my, like, I love this planning. I love this traveling. I love this, like getting up and going. I love this, like getting to a new place and resetting. And because my MacBook is just sitting there and because my passport's sitting there and because I have money in the bank to book these things. Um, yeah, it's, you know, it's, it's, it's as bad as, yeah, there's five bottles of whiskey in the cupboard and, and you're sitting there on the sofa trying your best not to get up off your ass and pour a glass of whiskey. And there's no one really there, like, to stop me. You know, nobody, nobody really cares. It's not that they don't care. They're just, like, Hass isn't going to tell me not to go home. You know, Courtney, Hass's girlfriend, she's not going to say, you know, they, they can offer their opinion. But they're not going to stop you. I'm an adult. They, they expect me to act like an adult. And at the end of the day, no one, no one really kicks up a fuss because you want to go home. You know, it, now, the problem for me is the second I go home, I'm, I'm not doing my job very well. It, it's not... I, we don't know at this point, because I've never stayed... In all the in all the buildups, all every time I've done Houston, I've never stayed the entire time. Now, I've always left. I've always gone home for Christmas for maybe like ten days, two weeks, and then flown back. And both times at Houston, I've ran a personal best. So I've gone to Houston, I've ran a personal best. 
but because we have no comparison, you know, there, sadly, there's no comparison for an occasion where perhaps I stayed for us to think, oh, yeah, okay, better. Or, fuck, maybe worse. We don't, we don't know, right? So I'm sitting there yesterday. I'm, I'm itching to book a flight. I'm, I'm desperate. You know, I'm, I'm seeing what I can do. And, and then as I went to have a wee lie down, I was like, fuck it, Stephen. Just, just go to Phoenix for like a day. You know, you can go to Phoenix for three days. You can go to, if you want to go, if you go to Phoenix and you like it, you can stay until Houston. Like there's no, there's no rules. The rule was to stay in America. The rule was to um, not do long haul travel prior, especially two long haul travels prior to a marathon. And so I, I understand that. Now, so my controlled chaos was, you know, driving down to Phoenix, um, getting jumping in the Airbnb, you know, good night's sleep. Um, and then I was going to do a session today and then I was going to, well, I could have done one or two things. I could have done an easy run today and then a session tomorrow. But the problem with that is I, the last session I did was Sunday. And so all of a sudden you've gone quite a bit of time without doing a session. And so I kind of wanted to do a session today. Um, I was excited about being at sea level. My hip was a bit sore, so I wasn't really sure, but I was confident because I've had this injury before that actually a couple of times I've ran through the little bit of discomfort. It hasn't, it hasn't jeopardized things too much. Um, and so I also thought it would be worth testing it before I go to see the physio. If I'm going to drive 50 minutes over to see the physio, um, I'd, I'd like to have like tested it a little bit and then I could give the physio either some feedback or like, for example, let's say I, I couldn't finish the session. Well, then of course I'm going to drive the 50 minutes across. However, when I do the session and I don't feel any pain or discomfort during the session, I feel a little bit after. So I do a really short warm down, but because I don't feel anything during the session, I'm fairly confident that it's okay. That it, you know, I, I'm, it's not perfect, but I'm pretty sure it's okay. It's just, it's a bit gristly. So it feels a bit gristly. It feels like I kind of need a bit of work done on it. Um, actually, I think Shockwave could really help. Um, but I need, um, I'm going to need Wes to step up with the Shockwave treatment and maybe I'll get some Shockwave on it Friday. Um, so yeah, look, um, I go to Phoenix. It's my, like I say, you know, I, I, it's my own version of controlled chaos. Um, what's Katie say? Jesus, I, um, is that how you spell their names? I'm writing Christmas cards. Jillian, Mark, Dylan, Katie. Um, yeah. Even though she knows I'm driving again. Katie is wild for just texting when I'm driving. She loves it. Sorry about that. Got a bit distracted. So controlled chaos. Basically, instead of booking a flight home, which I did, but obviously didn't get on, um, that was my allowed controlled chaos. Now, controlled chaos, it would be fantastic if you didn't. It'd be fantastic if I could just, you know, go. It's a bit like if you're trying to give up cigarettes, but you wear patches. 
you know, you're not going teetotal, but you've got little patches on, but it's not as bad as smoking. So going to Phoenix for a day, it cost me a little bit of money because I had to pay for the Airbnb. I had to pay for fuel to get to Phoenix. Um, you might say it's a little bit tiring driving for, what is it, one hour 45 twice, so three and a half hours. Maybe it's a little bit tiring. But in terms of comparing that to, you know, a 16-hour travel day, then, or maybe 18 hours, well, then obviously it's uncomparable, right? But yeah, wouldn't it be great if you didn't need the controlled chaos at all and, you know, you could just, what would it be? Survive without it, you know? Survive and thrive. So look, it, it worked out pretty well. I, I got up this morning. I felt good. Um, I decided I would, I didn't know, I swear to God, I didn't know what to do. I, part of me was planning to rest because I was getting really frustrated. I, I called my mom and she didn't pick up. And then I spoke to her again a bit later. And I actually told her that she was probably quite lucky that she didn't pick up. Hold on. I told her she was lucky she didn't pick up because I was in a shit mood anyway. So I was in a shit mood this morning because my hip was still bothering me. I'm really confused about what it is. You, it, it feels like, and I don't think it is this, but because I've had it before and it's not, it wasn't this, but it feels like there's just a nerve sitting on a bone. And as I scrape across it with like my thumbs or my finger, it's like I'm just moving the nerve and it feels gristly. So it's like, it's all shitty. It's all gristly. It hurts like a mother. But then once I kind of do that for a bit and I endure the pain, kind of goes away and so then I can like walk around and I'm like oh like hey like it's fine so I decided I would go for a run and if I felt all right I, I went for a run where I was going to do this session and I was like well you know if I feel all right you know I'll just give it a go honestly at that point I didn't even know what session I was going to do the last session I'd done like marathony type session was the six times 2k so I thought today if I can do um, five times, well, I was going to do 3K, but then it didn't change my watch. So I ended up just doing two mile. So the session should have been um, five times 3K with 1K float recovery. But actually I did five times two mile with only 800 meter float recovery. So that 200 got kind of moved across. Um, it ended up being 12 miles and I, I think I had 60 minutes, so it was bang on five-minute mile pace. Um, and, and this is what was quite impressive. The first rep, I felt tragic. I just didn't feel great. I was like, oh, fuck, like, welcome to sea level day one. And I never feel that great at sea level day one. Like, if you've ever, you ever been to altitude, day one, you're like, you're, you're, you're breathing's a bit all over the place because... Your, your body has literally been at altitude like, you know, 12 hours before. And, you know, when you've done a run there the day before, you were you were breathing pretty heavy because it's altitude. And so all of a sudden, you're, it's hard for your breathing instantly to just calm the fuck down, basically. And so usually day two, you feel a little bit better. And actually what I found is, is by about day 14, I feel my best. So I, it takes my body a bit of time to get used to the breathing, to get used to the fact that, you know, I like I felt pretty tired in the first rep. 
my the I think the highest my heart rate went was like 158. 158, like that's a joke. In the last rep, it was 175, right? But in that first rep, I'm a bit like, oh, I'm a bit tired. And so what I what I tend to need to do at sea level is show myself, hey, you know, yes, your heart rate's bouncing around here at 168 to 170, but you could fucking keep this going for a really long time. And I and I and that started to happen throughout the session. So as each as I moved to the next rep, so rep two, all of a sudden, I was like 450 pace. And I was like, okay, shit, that's good, 450 pace. And my heart rate was still under marathon heart rate. So like sitting around 165, 166. Um, I, I think I average about 168 in a marathon. So it actually starts at about 164. But then by the end, it would be up at like 174. But the average always comes out, obviously, somewhere in the middle for obvious reasons. Um, and so, look, it, it, it just went really well because then rep two, I felt way better. And by rep three, I felt, I just felt really in control. It kind of just got to a place where I, I didn't even have to look at the heart rate because in my head, heart rate was, it was basically irrelevant because it didn't matter what it was because I, I just felt so in control. It didn't matter if it was 180. It was, I think the heart rate sat about 168 to 170 until the very last two mile rep. So I was kind of like 450 for the second two mile. And the floats were all about 545 to 550. So, um, yeah, I, 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 yeah, 168. And then I think the third rep was, it was probably like, I think around 448, 448, 448. So two mile, right around 448. And the heart rate was probably 170. And I mean, I'm going to say coming back up the hill, but Phoenix is so flat. It's like, it's really, really flat. Um, and so the, I think it was like 20 feet. So there, there was a bit of a climb, which meant I had to work a bit harder to hold the pace. And of course the heart rate went up a little bit, but, Nothing to really write home about. Um, rep four was the same. I just kept it the same. I think 447 for the first mile and then 449 for the second. And again, the heart rate, 170, 171 max. Um, the average would have been 166 and 168, something like that. And then I jogged back to the car. Um, each time I was, so each time, it's a mile and a half loop. So I was always doing two mile rep turning around and running back towards the car because I had a drink at the car. So it's the only really issue when you're training by yourself. I guess you could bring like disposable bottles, but like then you're, no. What I do when I'm training for marathon by myself is I just don't, you know, I think I looked on Strava when I finished the session and, you know, I, I think there was like 70 seconds, I guess it's called like elapsed time. And so 70 seconds was, me going back to the car. So I would run my three minute recovery back to the car or whatever it was for that half a mile, like 5.45 pace. So what's that? Like 2.52 back to the car. And then I would take like a drink or two, set the drink bottle down and away I'd go. But I mean, when you've done that five times, I guess it's like 15 seconds each time, something like that. But I, I genuinely don't give a shit. And I would, I would encourage it quite a lot. Um, if, you, if you can have company, and they can carry your drinks bottle for you, well then, you know, of course that trumps, like, that trumps all, obviously. 
But <clears throat> I've tried different things. I've tried carrying the bottle for like a mile or a mile and a half, depending on the loop. Um, I just find it a lot easier. It's not real estate. It's not a big deal. Go to the car, have a quick drink. You know, most of the time I was having two swigs because I have to say, I do need to start practicing my drinking again because when Haas was handing me drinks um, on Sunday in the long run, I wasn't loving it. My belly wasn't loving it. And so I definitely, definitely, definitely had to start practicing drinks again, which is why, even though I really believe I could have handled today no problem without drinks, I just wanted to practice because I think it's important. Um, so yeah, I'd encourage, you know, stick a drinks bottle on the top of your car if you can. Now, I wouldn't really encourage, if you're doing a long tempo, that's a bit different. But if you're doing tempo reps with recovery, try to tie it into the recovery. Um, you know, and, and I think that tends to work quite well. Um, rather than like during a rep. If you're doing it during a rep, you should really just be, like I, what I'm, what I'm, what I mean by that is like, even though I was doing two mile reps, I passed the car at a mile and a half. But of course, I'm not going to stop at a mile and a half, take a drink, and then finish off the next half mile. I always tied the drink into the recovery part, and um, when I'm running like 540, 545 pace, etc., cetera, etc., cetera. Um, rather than like interrupting the two mile rep, where I just think it's far more important that you finish the two mile rep. Um, so yeah, so look, it, it went really well. The last rep, sorry, um, I kind of let rip a little bit. Um, I, 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 I felt good, and I decided just to you know really not worry about um, heart rate and speed and just 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 feel good and, and work a little bit. And but as I but as I was pushing, the the key really was to remind myself that you're still in control. So like I got to like a mile and a half. You know, my breathing was probably because I, I talked about the whole breathing rate thing when you first come down to sea level. So my breathing's kind of like, you know, it's giving it a bit. And I'm kind of like, whoa, whoa, whoa. You're actually fucking really good. You ran, you ran all of Lauren Half Marathon at, you know, between 175 and 180 heart rate. So actually, your heart rate, your heart rate's sitting at 175 right now. You're good. You don't need to. And I, and I think this is a nice little reminder for people a lot of the time the fear of tiredness is in your head you you're afraid that you're working too hard you're worried that you're you know you're breathing a little bit you're supposed to be breathing that's your body efficiently getting oxygen in transporting it around your body and you know buffering any fatigue that's building it, it's a it's a good thing and so to remind yourself, as I was running along in that second rep, and you can get a wee bit panicky, you can start to think you're getting a bit tired, and you just go, hey, you know what? I'm good. This is my, I, I can do this for an hour. This is my R heart rate, you know, 175. I got this for an hour. I'm good. And so, doesn't mean I could fucking bang out an R this morning. <laughs> but like, but actually when I taper and when everything comes together, that's the kind of fucking heart rate I can handle for an hour. So there's no need to panic in a two mile rep. And that's, and I really enjoy doing that because there's kind of like quotes that I like. And it's that idea of like, you know, like pain, pain, discomfort, all those things, you know, they don't have to be your enemy. When you, when you experience pain or when you experience discomfort, 
you can actually lean into it. That's a really way to, that's a good way to think about it. Just say, okay, all right, you know, those previous two mile reps at 448, yeah, they were, they were pretty comfy. Now we're down at 440. It's not as comfy, but that's okay. I'm okay with that. I'll lean into it. You know, let's see, let's see what happens. Let's see where this goes. And, and like I said, sometimes the, the panic and the worry is actually more dramatic than, than the reality. Because the reality is you finish the rep, you get it done and you're like, oh shit. I mean, I, fuck, I probably could have done another mile. And I, maybe another two mile if you knew someone really, someone held the gun to your head. Someone stand there at the end of that two mile rep and they say, you know, you have to keep going or else you'd find a way, wouldn't you? You know, you might slow down, but you'd find a way. Whereas probably briefly for a, for a moment or two, mid rep you were you were questioning it and and so look it was a it was a great session five times two mile um it, it pretty much was something like 457 450 448 448 442 for the five reps and then all the recoveries were at 545 to 550 pace for 800 so look i'm 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 happy with that the first the first couple of recovery 800s, I didn't stop the watch as I like turned around and started to run back up the hill. And then eventually I was like, I'm, it's, it's taken me fucking all day to swing. <laughs> I, I, I don't know why runners are so shit at U-turns, but it was taking me all day to like U-turn. And as I'd be like setting off, the watch would already say like 7.30 pace and I'd be like, nah, it's not. Um, so that that's probably another little bit of the time that um, I, I just paused the watch, turned around and then you know, off I went and then I restarted the watch just to, if I wasn't practicing drinks, then I could have just kept doing it around the loop. And that would have obviously been quite nice, quite convenient, but I think it was more important today to practice drinks. So the hip doesn't feel too bad. So I got back to the Airbnb and I had a, I actually text Rob and I said, you know, we're in a, we're in a really good fucking place. I think that's exactly what I said. Um, it was a really nice lift today. It was a nice boost. Um, when you do, even though today's session's different, but, you know, let's say, let, when I did the six times 2K, you know, I was I was kind of laboring at 5.05 pace at altitude and didn't feel powerful in my stride, didn't feel powerful at the heart rate. Just altitude, you just feel labored. It's kind of pisses me off. It's just hard work. Um but then you go to sea level and it's you know it's quite fun and actually i i genuinely believe that i'd have felt better tomorrow and maybe even better you know the next day i think day two and three have always been quite good to me day one has never been that good to me um and so actually i wasn't the expectation wasn't that high today i just wanted to get another marathony type session done i wanted a session that i can look back at and go yes you know you know, 12 mile, good, well done. Um, and, and that these are the gaps that I'm trying to fill in. They're in the space of three days. You know, I did a 20 mile run, which filled the gap. And that had the 12 by a mile alternating paces. And then obviously today, there's another 12 miler. Oh yeah, and I did the 10 mile at Camp Verde at, you know, close to five minutes, 502, 503. And um, again, at altitude, that's, you know, pretty damn impressive. So look, Everything, everything, oh, fuck me, things are in a really good place. Like, who am I kidding? Um, today, was, today was fantastic. 
I did a, I did four times two mile about 13 days before London. So on a Monday morning and London was the following weekend. So it's about 13 days and the heart rate and speed today was, was better. Like, especially the last rep. Um, but yeah, heart rate and speed today worked out better. Um, and actually that day I took three minutes recovery just standing. Whereas today, um, you know, the, the three minutes recovery was active recovery at like 5.45 pace, which, okay, when you're running five minutes or sub five minutes, you know, it's not fast, but it's, but it's faster than just standing there waiting for three minutes and then going again. So I think today was arguably better and the fitness is arguably better than what it was before London. Which is fucking huge. But actually, if you think about it, London, I, I was reading some research on altitude and it's starting to make sense. So there was a research paper done that followed Kenyans. Kenyans left altitude for six weeks. And basically, once a week, they tested their hemoglobin mass, which is... You know, that's pretty much, that's the bulk of the reason why you go to altitude to improve your hemoglobin mass. Um, and so after two weeks, the results didn't change. Um, you know, first week, no change. Second week, no change. Week three started to decline. Week four declined drastically. By week five, sometimes they actually tested lower. Um, athletes within this test tested lower than what their hemoglobin mass was before their altitude camp. So week five is like a fucking disaster, essentially, post-altitude. If if you haven't bothered to do anything to top it back up, so what I mean by that is some people go back to altitude for a little bit. Some people sleep in an altitude tent. There's ways, there's ways to cling on to these benefits that you've gained from altitude. Um... So it makes sense. Like Lauren was week two and I felt incredible. And at week two in this study, there was no change. But by week five, hemoglobin mass, like as in like this fucking bar chart, you know, it obviously week one, it changes slightly. I think it goes down a bit. Week two, it kind of comes back up. These are the natural changes that happen when you're down to sea level. So week one, it goes down a little bit. I mean, a tiny, tiny bit. Week two, if you want to look this article up, you can search when to compete after altitude and then type in the, the, the scientist who is Robert Chapman, who works for USATF. He's really good friends with Haas. But week two, it kind of goes back up a little bit. It, it sits identical to what it was when you kind of first left. But then what happens after that is it goes down a lot. I mean, a lot. You're kind of like, fuck. Like, now all of a sudden, having just being to sea level my plan was to go to sea level for the last three or four weeks all of a sudden i'm i'm no longer going to do that i'll either fly to the race 48 hours before or i'll fly to the race two weeks before because i i don't want to lose that benefit of the hemoglobin mass that you've built now there's other things you'll read this article and you'll start to understand like i'm i'm talking about breathing rate but something like ventilatory respiratory rate or something like that it's it's a lot more than breathing rate so what you'll do is you'll you'll go on this study and you'll it explains it far better than i fucking do 
But for some people, that can change really quickly, as in probably a day or two days. Other people, um, it takes a bit longer. And and the problem is, you know, you might ask yourself, like, you know, breathing rate, like, what the fuck's the big deal? <laughs> Who cares? But you're wasting energy, and energy equals speed. So speed that could be used better elsewhere, or energy that could be used better elsewhere to produce speed, not to get in oxygen that's being wasted because you're over breathing you're bringing in pretty much you're bringing in more oxygen than you can utilize and so it becomes wasted energy and so it actually is a problem like one of Haas's athletes raced in the u.s cross country like i think a week ago and and said like literally breathing felt worse than had had done in altitude and if you remember back to my 12 miler when we just drove down on the same day oh, my breathing was terrible. And I got really sore diaphragm after it, like really, really tight diaphragm. As in when I finished it, it was really tight, really sore straight away. Just over breathing. So altitude, it's be careful with altitude if you're planning it. Be careful, do a bit of research, the hydration thing, the when to compete after. Then you have to fill in the gaps. So like obviously what I'm doing by adding in a couple of sea level sessions, you're you're filling in that void of essentially not spending enough time at race pace or or even you know faster than race pace. And especially if you're going to race on the track, you might find your fitness is way better than it's ever been, but you're just lacking like turnover. Or so a good idea is to do strides, um, specifically hill strides, because you can run fast but you can also work on what's called neuromuscular power. And neuromuscular power at altitude can actually decrease quite a bit, mainly because you're just not using it. Like, you might you're, you might do 10 400s at sea level, and you might do them in 65 seconds, let's say, right? And then you come to altitude, and you have to run, like, 68, maybe even fucking 70. And all of a sudden, like, that turnover and power to run 68 to 70 is a lot different from 65 it doesn't seem like that much but then when you keep doing that for like five weeks you might have gained more from those sessions and you might actually be able to go back to sea level and hypothetically do your 10 and 62 but because you haven't been doing 10 and 62 your body doesn't really know it can so you know it is important to Basically fill the gaps, fill the voids, work on work on the little things that altitude takes away, which is turnover, strides, neuromuscular power, hills. And it actually can weaken your VO2 max because to train at VO2 max at altitude is quite risky. Like it can fuck you up a little bit. So a lot of people avoid doing it. So typically people aren't going to, you know, at 7,000 feet do eight times two minutes with two minutes recovery as hard as they can because it's probably going to fuck them up a little bit. But at sea level, you know, that's the kind of session that you might do just to bump your VO2 max a little bit. Um, but all right, that's enough, because I, I doubt everybody listening is actually going to get in the plane and go to altitude, so I don't need to rat on about altitude. But look, I'm on my way back up the mountain. Um, the plan now... The, the plan now is kind of a bit shit, because it's looking like... If I do want to go to Louisiana for Christmas, it's going to have to be a really short trip. Um, 
you might find what I can do is go to Louisiana for probably three or four days and then come back to altitude. Remember I talked about if you haven't done anything to top your hemoglobin mass up, then you should pop back the altitude. So what I will likely do is go to go to uh, yeah go to sea level for Christmas, as in probably the twenty second until the twenty fifth. Fly back on Christmas Day, get back the altitude, um, enjoy you know a bit of company at sea level, a little bit of time to just relax a little bit, unwind a little bit. Um, and then, and I can do another good session at sea level. This time I'll set that session up as a bit of a test, like a fitness test. So I'll do it on day two rather than day one. So there's no excuses. Um, I'll set that up as a bit of a test. Um, and then I'll enjoy altitude or sorry, sea level. And then I'll go back the altitude for, I think it's only like, fuck it might be like a week no it's not sounding great is it yeah i might have to though i might have to go back for either plan a back for a week and then sea level for two weeks or back for two two and a half weeks and then sea level for the two days before the race i guess i can make a decision on that depending how I feel um, when I do the test on day two. If I feel incredible doing that test situation on day two, well then it would be in my best interest to just stay up at altitude and drop in. But if I still feel like, you know what, like I feel like I, I actually, no, I'm, I'm telling you right now, for last 14 days, sea level. That's, that's what it did for Larn. And when that gun went in Larn, oh, I felt incredible. I, everything just came together. Breathing was perfect. Um, so my breathing was perfect. The fitness felt incredible. The speed, my body got used to the speed because, you know, Rob had set some sessions where I was running at like 440 pace and, oh, they need help, but I have no clue if I can help. Sorry about that, buddy. Oh, that's bad. I should have went and said hello. But... I have to say, I don't know much about 18 wheel trucks. Um, so yeah, back to that. Last two weeks. Now what I need to do is just figure out the best way to keep the hemoglobin mass high. See, this Christmas thing's a luxury. <laughs> it would be very, very handy if I didn't have to do Christmas in Louisiana but that feels a little bit inhuman it feels a little bit inhuman to sit in a house by myself in Flagstaff when I you know when you like I said when you've done it takes two weeks down at sea level to you know for your hemoglobin mass to drop so it does seem a little bit of an inconvenience to um, go to sea level for like three days to go back to altitude for a week to then leave again I think eight days later but look it is what it is I'll just have to work with that um, but look I'm going to leave you there because 
I, I, I actually predicted, didn't I, that I would do another um, podcast and probably be like really buzzing. And today was fucking really good. It was exactly what I wanted, exactly what I needed. Um, yeah, it was, that's really exciting. Um, and that, I'm, I'm, I'm really, really, really chuffed because I have worked really hard. Some of those sessions have been really tough up at altitude. The lifestyle has been really good and it was kind of shitty in the dark urine, the you know, dark urine thing and, and this hip giving me a bit of trouble. But you know, I did a good job to get on the bike and I'll actually bike tonight for probably 30 minutes really easy. Um, and then I might have to bike tomorrow and I might have to bike Friday. It doesn't, doesn't matter to me now. I just need to get this hip cleared up totally. Um, and then, you know, what I'm, I've moved uh, to easy days session, to easy days session. And the sessions are really going to count now. So these next two weeks, big sessions, you know, like today, five times two mile with half a mile float comes out of 12. Um, you know, then another big session. Saturday will be like a long run. So it might be um, last time I did eight miles and then 12 miles of one mile hard, one mile float. Um, this Saturday might be something like 12 miles easy. And then this time the final eight miles can just be like steady, progressive running. I don't, I think 10 and 10 is slightly too much. So I think 12 and 8 is actually right because the first two mile, actually like 14 and 6 would be pretty good, like 14 pretty easy and then 6 pretty hard. But what I'll do in the first two mile is like get my body up to that kind of effort. So it'll be 12 mile easy, two mile getting up to a good effort. And in the last six mile, I'll be at a pretty, you know, solid effort. Um, and then, yeah, then I'm back to a session the following Tuesday, which will probably be back to really simple, like hopefully eight times a mile on the track if the track is, you know, not snow covered, etc., etc. All right, guys, I appreciate you listening. You know, you guys are fucking awesome for listening um, and take care. Bye bye.